Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. Thank you for the, the invite and the warm welcome. If you have a Bible, we're turned to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read from the verse 22. Matthew 14 and the verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we come before you today and we ask you, Lord, bless your word. Just, Lord, as you bless the bread and the breaking of the faith, thousand. so, Lord, if you bless this, it will be substance to our spirits and our souls. Lord, we need you today and we ask you, Lord, that you would bless every word. And, Lord, that it would be your sovereign will in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. And straightway Jesus constrained. In the Greek New Testament, that word for constrained, it's literally like I grew up on a farm. And if you ever see farmers loading livestock, you'll learn what that word constraint means. It's trying to drive an animal to do something it doesn't want to do. And if you get an animal that decides it doesn't want to do something, eh, a battle breaks out. And in that battle, that animal will do everything that it knows in its natural ability to get past you. Because an, an animal naturally does not want to go into a confined space. It doesn't want to go into a trailer. So you've got a, a cow running around a 10-acre field, and you've decided you want to put it in a 10 by 5 trailer. There's going to be a battle breaks out. And in that battle, that animal's going to do everything. It's going to look for a way out. It's going to look for a way over. And you have to do something to that animal. You have to show that animal you're the boss. So you'll stand and you'll wave your arms and you'll shout and you'll roar and you'll bang sticks off boards. You'll do everything. And that is literally what happens here. The Lord breaks into a battle with his disciples. That's strange. But the Lord all of a sudden is in a battle with his followers. And there's a reason why he was in a battle with his followers. They'd just done the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Every man and their dog knows about that miracle. Atheists know about that miracle. Gnostics know about that miracle. Children who don't even know what the Bible is knows about the feeding of the 5,000. It was one of the greatest moments in Christ's earthly reign when he was walking this earth in his earthly ministry. And it was a miracle that was strange, but it was a miracle that touched so many people. It was a miracle that fed the rich and the poor together. It was a miracle that fed the thief 
and the king together. So many people got the taste of that miracle from every background, from everywhere. There would have been a celebration in the air, so much so that the people wanted to take Jesus and make him their king. It wasn't a spiritual persuasion. It was a political persuasion. Always make sure your heart is looking for the spiritual. Christ realized that these people, their heart was wrong and wasn't going to allow them to pursue where they're going. Always make sure in your heart that everything you're doing is as unto the Lord. Always make sure that every desire, every ambition, every hope is as unto the Lord. Because the Lord read their hearts and the Lord said, this isn't happening. Now here's where it all happens now. The Lord turns around and sees a situation where he needs to get the disciples out of the road. Sometimes the Lord will drive you from situations against your will. Sometimes the Lord will ask you to do something that doesn't feel right. And you're like, no, Lord, I want to stay here. This is where you've planted me. Lord, I want to stay by your side. But the Lord didn't want them to stay. And the Lord says, no, you are getting on that boat. Now, here's where the problem is. A lot of people think that the Lord had to drive them onto the boat because they wanted to stay and enjoy the atmosphere of the miracle. It actually wasn't that. You see, the reason the Lord was pushing them onto the boat was to get them away from a current situation. But the reason they didn't want to get on the boat was these men were fishermen. And the thing about the Galilee fishermen, if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, it's not even salt water, it's a lake. And everybody thinks the salt water was actually fresh water. But the interesting thing about the Sea of Galilee is actually 215 meters below sea level. And it's surrounded by two mountains. And it had its own climate. And only the fishermen could read the waters. And you could be standing on the land having a picnic in the sunshine because it was springtime. They were sitting in the grass. And you can be sitting in a picnic having this, the, the, your, the time of your life, but out in the Sea of Galilee, there's a storm. And because of the climate and because of the way it was, they could look out and see the storms. And Christ was asking these fishermen to get into a boat and sail into a storm. And they were trying to say, Lord, you're pushing us into something. You're taking us away from our comfort zone. You're pushing us into a storm. We can see the storm. You're from Nazareth. We understand your dad was a joiner. You, you weren't a fisherman, but listen to us. And that's what we try to do. We try to argue with the Lord. We look at things and we try to say to the Lord, but Lord, I know better. But the Lord was saying, get into the boat. And he had to literally drive them into this boat. And he had literally to drive them into this storm. I can guarantee you, when they got into that boat and they thought they were out of earshot of Christ. They would have done some moaning. He's pushing us into this. Is he for real? He wants us to go, look. And you would have had Peter going, listen, boys, we'll go around the corner and we'll, we'll dock up all around the corner. Just, just play up them. And that's the way people are. And they would have set out hoping to get out of this storm. 
And that's what it's like at times in the Christian walk. When you can see the storm ahead. When you can see the trials and the struggles. And the Lord's pushing you into it. You see, there's an ideology in the church today where the Lord doesn't bring you into these things. There's an ideology in the church today where it's all a bed of roses and the Christian walk is just something fantastic. Let me tell you something. Peter tells us that the trial of your faith, though it be as wood, hay, stubble, silver or gold. Now, if you read Revelation chapter 3, there's only one type of gold that the Lord wants. Does any of you know what it is? It's the gold tried in fire. It's the gold tried in fire. Have you asked the Lord to use you lately? Have you asked the Lord to do something in your life? Here's the interesting thing. Don't be shocked if the Lord comes with fire rather than roses. Don't be shocked if the Lord comes with a storm rather than sunshine. You see, one of the things that Christians don't realize, we're not off this world. That's the thing about it. Do you know what's happened to the Christian church? We've become so worldly, we're no heavenly use. We've become so worldly minded that our, our, our ideology of God's word has become corrupted. We were told to go into the world and preach the gospel and change the world, but the world has now changed the gospel. And do you know what's the thing about it? We as the guardians, you see, we're the guardians of God's word. Do you realize we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his representatives on earth? We're his ambassadors. And we are here to represent King Jesus. And we have allowed things to come into this world. We have allowed things to come into the church that has affected the church and has affected his, the, the, the gospel. We hear today where people are talking about a sinner-friendly gospel. Have you heard that? Where preachers are now told, don't be preaching uh, about the cross. Don't be preaching about the blood. You have to be sinner-friendly. Do you see the sinner-friendly gospel? It tells people that Jesus died for them and that he shed his precious blood in Calvary. The Bible speaks about the offense of the gospel. And you know, if people's going to be offended, they're going to be offended why you preach the gospel in its entirety or not. But here's why I'm here today. And I believe the Lord has put a word on my heart for every single one of you. Do you know, you don't have to be a doctor to know when you get bad news. You don't have to be a bank manager to know when your finances are up the left. You don't have to be a boss to know that your job is under threat. And the irony about this life is so often we see the storms and so often we're asking the Lord, Lord, don't let me go through this. Lord, don't allow this to happen. So often we're asking the Lord to change our circumstances. But do you know, we blame Satan for a lot of things. And I hear people saying, the old devil's after me, I got a flat tire today. With a grace of respect, he's bigger fish to fry than your tires. And the irony in life is, people give Satan a lot more credit than what he's due. He's not omnipresent. There's only one who's omnipresent. 
He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. There's only one. We give Satan too much credit. But I'm going to tell you this. A lot of the times we're blaming Satan for things that God is actually trying to do in our lives. And sometimes the Lord pushes us into places that really unsettle us. Sometimes the Lord takes us to places that takes us out of our comfort zone. And it's actually indescribable. Do you know, I get asked many times, many times people have tragedies in their life. And many times I sit and I watch people breaking in front of me. And I cannot tell you how many times I've sat and pleaded with the Lord while looking them in the face saying, Lord, give me something to say. And I'm not going to lie to you. I hate those situations because those situations catch you like a rabbit in headlights because you can never really find the words to tell someone. You can never really find the words to change that situation when a loved one has passed away or somebody's left somebody and you're sitting looking them in the eye and you want to be able to say something but you can't explain it. And there's only one thing that you can do in that time. It's just be there for them and show them that you love them and show them the love of Jesus. That's all you can do. I've actually sat, I'll say this, I was with somebody one time and somebody was struggling and somebody piped up and said the words. I was raging because their words weren't measured. It was just the use of cliche in the church where they come out with, like the Lord's in control. I actually told them to shut up. Because that person at that time didn't need to hear that. That person at that time didn't need to hear someone coming out with cheap, unmeasured words. All they needed at that time was someone to say, listen, I love you. And I'm here for you. And you know, that's one thing. If I was to encourage us all as Christians, learn how to love one another again. Learn how to love one another in our hard times and our good times. Learn how to love one another. Because I tell you what, see in the Bible where there's unity, it commands a blessing. Do you see a divided house? The Lord said it, it cannot stand. And you know, one of the sad things about the church today is, Jesus told us that we're to love one another as Christ loved us. Now here's the irony about it. Do you know why so many people struggle to love one another? Because they just don't realize how much Jesus loves them. And because they don't realize how much Jesus loves them, they find it hard to find that love for to love one another. See, if I ask you to, to pray something today, say, Lord, show me how much you love me. Show me how much you love me. And I'll tell you what, he'll answer that prayer. And he'll show you how much he loves you. But here's men being pushed into a storm being pushed into a situation, and you can be sure of one thing, at that moment in time, they didn't think Jesus loved them too much. At that moment in time, they would have been saying, if he really loves us, he'll let us stay here because he's pushing us into something that we don't want to go through. Out to go into their storm. And they're out in this storm. It's four miles. And a normal four-mile journey across the Sea of Galilee, it take no more than an hour and a half 
This is approximately five, six o'clock at night. And if you read on down, it says it was into the fourth watch. It was between three and six o'clock in the morning, almost 12 hours later. A journey that should only have took one hour. 12 hours later, they're battling for their lives. Do you ever enter into something that looks so simple, looks so easy, and all of a sudden you say, I wish I had never started this. Do you ever enter into something? Can be a business deal, can be a relationship, can be any, could even be buying a house. And it all looks so perfect on the outside. But see, when you enter into it, and 12 hours later, the most simple thing in the world has become one of the worst decisions of your life. And you're saying, where did it all go wrong? How has this happened? And you start to blame each other, and you start to blame bank managers, and you start to blame credit cards, you start to blame your food, you start, it just becomes an absolute blame game. And you're fighting for your life. Something that's so simple now becomes the worst decision you've ever made. And that's where these men are. But the thing is, they didn't want to do this. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes we're so spiritually minded. I can guarantee you on that boat, at some stage, some of them were doing some slabbering about Jesus. See, we all get so spiritual. Oh, they would never. But they were, can I use a nice term? They were hanging out with Jesus every day. He was their friend. Like if I'm hanging out with people and and different ones, and, and you get to know them on a real personal basis, you're going to say, if I get Ken, I'll hit him a slap around the head the next time for putting me into this situation. And that's the way it would go. Ken would never say that about me because I've never done anything on Ken because I'm perfect. <laughs> and Ken will tell you that himself. <laughs> but that's the way you do when you get on a personal basis with someone. And you can be sure in that boat there have been one saying, see, when I get there, I'm going to tell him what he'd done, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And they would have been stuck in the middle of this. And then all of a sudden, this bad decision became life-threatening. All of a sudden, when they thought it couldn't get any worse, all of a sudden it became to the stage of life and death. Do you see when you face a situation... I call it a paradigm shift. It's when something comes into your life and you know your life will never be the same ever again from this moment. If you haven't had a paradigm shift moment in your life, you thank God for that. But if you haven't had it, you ask God to be getting you ready. There's moments will come into your life where you'll get a phone call You'll get a knock on the door, something, someday, paradigm shift moments, that's what I call them. It's where your life will never be the same ever again. And that's where life gets difficult. That's where life starts. You start to ask questions. You actually will ask the Lord difficult questions in moments like that. That's when gloves come off moment. That's where that moment where you'll say, Lord, What's going on here? Why has this all happened? And that's what happened to these men. And they were crying out, Lord, what is going on? And it says in verse 27, And straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Do you know, 
I see a lot of people and they need a move from God. And they're looking an answer from God. Here's the interesting thing about this. People think, because the Lord said, don't be afraid, be of good cheer, it's I. People think from this moment on, they all walked away into the sunset, swinging arms, singing yellow, yellow roses, a box full of posies. Every one of them men, bar one, went on to die the most terrible deaths. Every one of them men went on to be persecuted, tortured, broken, abused, hated. But the Lord turned around and says, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Do you know why these men were able to go on and do these things? Because the Lord had prepared them. And you may be going through things and you just don't understand it. Let me tell you, the Lord is preparing you. See, you'll not be able to go through these things unless you've already had some sort of training. You'll not be able to face your demons unless you've already had that training. And here's what I want to tell you to do. Go through the storms. Go through your battles. It's not easy. And it's not going to make it easier that I'm saying this this morning. It's not going to change a lot of things. But here's the thing about it. Do you see the Lord Jesus Christ? He has made a promise. And his promise is this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, life is difficult. Life is indescribable. And life has its complications. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And when God is for you, then who can be against us? So what if the storms come and they will hurt you and they will take lumps out of you and you will question your faith and you will question your place in Jesus Christ and you will actually ask the Lord, Lord, do you love me? Lord, am I saved? Do you ever go through such bad situations? You actually ask the Lord, Lord, am I saved? Would you just ring the bell twice and let me know? Because I'm really confused right now. But I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with Acts 27. And it's the Apostle Paul. There's nobody knew storms like the Apostle Paul. Three shipwrecks. <laughs> See if Paul says, you want to go on a boat trip with me? You would have said, Paul, go on your own. I'm all right, thanks. Paul was deadly. He'd lead you into a rat. Pastor McCall used to say, when you study the Apostle Paul, two things you always found out. He was either leading you into a revival or leading you into a rat. And uh, he says you, you, you just would never have been safe with Paul. But listen to this as we'll close in Acts 27 and 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners onto one Julius the centurion. And then go down into verse 3. And the next day we touched 
at Sidon, and Julius cursed thee and treated Paul and give him liberty to go on to his friends and to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus through the winds, and they were contrary. Notice that again. See, when the disciples were in the boat, the winds were contrary. Now, here's the interesting thing about what's happening here. It was actually the Lord had commanded Paul that he had to go to Rome. See, if you read Acts 23 and the verse 11, it actually says that Christ himself stood at Paul and says, Paul, you have to go to Rome. You have to go. This is a sovereign, divine will of God. You're going to Rome. You would have thought when Christ stood by Paul and says, Paul, you're going to Rome, that would have been it. There'd be no trouble. You would have thought, hand on your heart, who, if Christ come to you tonight and stood by your bed and says, I'm going to send you as a missionary to preach the glorious gospel and you're going to the Bolivian rainforest, you would think to yourself, well, isn't this fantastic? Christ has sent me to the Bolivian rainforest and now I've got my divine will from God. Everything's now hunky-dory. Can't go, nothing can go wrong. So Christ stands beside Paul and says, you're going to Rome. Paul sets his face to go to Rome. He asks Felix, the governor, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Caesar. Knowing that if he asks to speak to Caesar, he gets sent to Rome. Paul does everything in his power to obey the word of God. He does everything in his power to follow the command of Christ. You would surely, surely, surely think it's free sailing. If you know anything about this journey to Rome, you will learn one thing. It was an absolute train crash. They got into the boat. The boat wouldn't even sail because there was no wind to drive the boat. When they eventually got on up around the coast, they went into land. They took too long to sail where they were. They needed to dock for the whole winter. But the, the captain of the boat, he had a load of grain on. He was thinking of the do re me. He's like, no, we're sailing on. Paul says, boys, we're entering into the storm of our lives. Actually, if you read the Bible, the storm actually has a name. This was before Sky News started to name storms. The Bible named storms 2,000 years ago. This storm was so big, it even had its own name. And I'm not pronouncing it because it'll be like tongues. You want to see what they call it. And that's the, that's the thing about Paul's journey. You would say, but the Lord told Paul he's going here. Surely the Lord's going to give him free sailing. Uh, he'll be there in a couple of days and everything. will be hunky dory. It took him months. Does anybody know the importance of why Paul had to go to Rome? Don't be afraid to shout out and be wrong. (laughs) Preach the gospel is what everybody says. Paul had a bigger fish to fry. And I'm very short for time, so I'm going to throw a snowball and Ken Davison can finish this one. Paul knew something that God had a purpose and a plan. I hear people speak about the Antichrist has yet to come and he's going to be some sort of a movie star and he's going to die and come back to life and everybody's going to start following him. Absolute nonsense. Paul 
Paul was going with the knife. And he was going with the knife to kill pagan Rome. And people went, oh, isn't this wonderful? He was going with a knife to kill pagan Rome to introduce something that would rise up within 200 years of Paul destroying pagan Rome. See, this is your Antichrist. People talk about the Antichrist. He'll be someone who dies and comes back to life. It was pagan Rome was killed and came back to life as papal Rome. Revelation 17, Revelation 18, and Revelation 19 speaks of the religious Rome, Babylon, economic and political Those three entities exist today in what we would call the European Union. And you might ask, Tom, why are you going off on this tangent all of a sudden? Here's why I'm going off on this tangent. Paul had to go through all of this. Didn't even know what would be the outcome. And 200 years later, that mission of Paul to Rome would come to full fruition in God's plan would be unveiled and God's will would be done. Imagine 200 years later where Paul went with the nail to the coffin of pagan Rome, destroyed them. Do you know how Paul destroyed them? By the preaching of the gospel. I'm going to close with this today. There's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can have all the degrees You can have all the money in the world. You can have good looks. I'm not talking about myself there. You can have it all. But there's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing changes lives like it. There's nothing has ever changed world history like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our very births are measured because of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're trying to change that. They can try all they want. It's set in history. Everybody's birth is AD after the death of Jesus Christ. This world is measured by them. And Christians... I want to close for two minutes encouraging you to do something. Get in love with Christ again. Get in love with his word. Get in love with what he can do. Because here's what Paul says in verse 25 of Acts 27. When this ship was about to sink. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe in God. Hallelujah. I believe in God. The ship's sinking. Boys, cheer up. I believe in God. Imagine being in a shipwreck with Paul. I tell you, you'd need to be some Christian to not turn around and say, Paul, wise up. We're sinking. And Paul don't, doesn't only say, I believe in God. He says, be of good cheer. Do you know why Paul was like this? Because Paul was told you're going to Rome. Paul had a message from God. 
And the Bible says where there's no vision. I said this the last time I was here, and I'm going to say it again because I want you to catch this. It is something that's died in the church. The Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. And people have lost their vision. They've lost their desire. And they're dying in the seats while the church, we're worshiping, we're singing, we're praising God, but we're dying in our seats. Get a vision from God. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me something to live for. And listen, I know good Christians and they're like a record stuck because God gave them a vision. And do you know what? Do you know why they're like a record stuck? Because they know they've something to live for. I used to go to Whitewell to the Friday night prayer meeting. I was young and I was only saved. See the Friday night prayer meetings in Whitewell? They were phenomenal. It was a bunch of old people. Because everybody is away out on a Friday night. And I would go to the Friday and would have it up in the, the, the restaurant. And there was wee men like Sammy Telford. And you know, what a hard them praying. I want to heard them crying to the Lord. And what I remember about them all is they all had a vision from God. They all had a promise. And they were driven by their promise. And they were driven by their vision. And do you know what? And Pastor McConnell told me this. He actually preached it. He told me this privately. And he preached it at night when he ordained me. One of his biggest regrets probably. When he ordained me into the ministry, he preached at my ordination. And he actually said this. He says, the secret of Whitewell isn't James McConnell. Isn't the building. He says, there's a band of elderly people who meet every morning with a promise from God for Whitewell. And they met every morning to pray. Believing in their vision. And I'm telling you now, I've seen the answer to their prayers. I've seen a move from God in this land. I've seen things happen. And that's why I'm passionate about this. And that's why I'm hungry. Do you know, I wish I'd never seen it. I wish I'd never experienced it. I can't tell you, that sounds terrible. But you see when you've seen a move of God. See when you're sitting in meetings and things happening. The, the supernatural happening. See, when you've experienced that and seen it, it's real. The hardest thing is to accept when it's not happening. And you see, if yous would get together and come together with a vision and a goal and believe in the Lord, you could do anything for this land and this nation. You really could. And it just takes a heart and a desire but here's what it takes more than anything. Go through your storm. I don't say that cheaply. Please don't think I'm saying this cheaply. Go through your storm today. Whatever it is that's happening. Maybe you've been blaming the devil. Maybe you've been blaming the Lord. Maybe you've been blaming your partner. Maybe you're blaming everybody. Maybe you're even blaming yourself. Here's what you do. Say, Lord... I don't know what it is. Don't know what the outcome. But I know this. Romans 8 and 28. Can you put up Romans 8 and 28 for me? I'm going to get you all to repeat this. 
There's nothing like speaking the word of God into your lives. And this is one of the greatest scriptures. Say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Say it again. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love the God and him who are called according to his purpose. Two things. Do you love him this morning? Do you love him? That's a strange question because we all struggle with that. There's times we're clean in love with him and there's times we want to love him. Let's be honest about it. There's times we'll go cold. There's times we'll go confused. Ask him this morning. I want to say something here. See if you love someone, you go out on a date with them. Ask the Lord to go for a walk with you later on. Ask the Lord to meet you somewhere. Get real with him again. And tell him that you love him. When did you last time you love him? When did you last say, Lord, I love you? It's nice to be told someone loves you, isn't it? Do you ever think the Lord likes to hear it too? We were created in his image. With the same feelings and the same emotions. But here's the greatest blessing. To them who are called according to his purpose. Notice that. All things work together. That storm. That bad news. I'm going to close with one verse. Joseph said it to his brothers. Satan meant it for evil. But God meant it on to good for the saving of many people. Go through your storm for Jesus Christ. Go through your trials. But here, go on a date with Jesus. He's no disappointment. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you all.